Here's a sneak peek of what we have today. Well, nine years and 14 practices. Any any entrepreneur has a lot of growing pains in the process and you don't know what you don't know. Key performance indicators are absolutely like essential to running your business. You don't have to deal with any staffing problems. I mean, your life would be so easy. There's a lot to know about in dentistry. We should be having discussions about business, entrepreneurship, and innovation. So let's start right here, right now. This is the business of drilling. All right, so welcome back to the business of drilling. We're back at it again with Jury and Christian. We're really excited to talk to you guys today. We're interviewing Dr. Mike Rondinelli. He's a really interesting character, and we're really excited to kind of discuss everything that we need to know about with uh, starting up practices and his journey. So before we get into it, Chris, Jury, how are you guys doing? I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I'm excited to talk to Dr. Uh, Rondinelli, uh, hear his story, hear his insights, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for being here, Dr. Rondinelli, and I'm really excited to have this talk with you guys. Okay, so Dr. Rondinelli, he's a really interesting character. He graduated from Western University with his undergrad, but then he actually went to dental school in in Detroit. So he went across the border in Canada. Now, uh, he has a really interesting um, portfolio of events that he gets involved in. He's involved with uh, Dentistry Disrupted, as well as the Dentistry uh, CE Academy. So we'd like to uh, thank Dr. Rondinelli for coming and uh, welcome him on. So, Mike, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Vlad. Hey, Jury. Hey, Christian. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great. So why don't we start off with just your story? Why don't you take us through your journey? Yeah. So I graduated, uh, like you said, I went to um, Western for my undergrad degree. Um, Graduated from there in uh, 2008. And then I applied to Western and Detroit Mercy, as I'm originally from Sarnia, Ontario. applied to uh, both schools. Uh, Western said no to me and Detroit Mercy said yes. So I went over to uh, Detroit Mercy for four years. Uh, Great experience. Um, After I graduated in 2012, I moved back home to Sarnia, Ontario. And um, I started working at a place called Lampton Family Dental. It's on Expo Street in Sarnia. Uh, Worked there for uh, a year as an associate. And then I actually took, I was working there five days a week and I took a part-time job uh, with Dove Dental on the weekends. Um, That's where I met uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Hasham Shurgan, who um, you guys know very well. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so uh, we were talking and and we always had the entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, So from there, we started uh, buying practices and opening up dental practices. So the first dental practice we bought was actually in Grand Bend. Um, we were partners on it. And then from there, we opened up one in London um, and then in Windsor. And then I started buying and opening up practices and in, in, uh, more in Sarnia, more in Windsor, more in um, uh, Forest, uh, um, towards uh, where are some other ones, Chatham, Leamington. So right now we have uh, 14 locations from anywhere from Windsor, Sarnia, uh, up to Grand Bend area, uh, Strathroy as well. And um, uh, we have about a group of um, about 150 employees. There's about a group of 15 dentists or so. And um, yeah, having fun with it. I have a a management company that I own and operate too that helps to manage all the practices. Um, I'm involved in, in consulting dentists on how to open up practices and how to run their their practices more efficiently and work on the business side of things so um 
Vlad, you said, uh, I'm sorry, I think I confused everybody. I said, um, I'm living in Detroit, interesting enough right now, but I practice in Canada every day. Uh, nice. and work oh, okay. all, my, so you all my clinics are in the, I commute, I cross a border. <laughs> yeah. So just to clarify, my wife's uh, a doctor in Detroit and, um, uh, <clears throat> I work every day in Canada. So I crossed the border during a pandemic when the borders closed. So it's really interesting right now for the last year. So luckily I haven't had any problems and they've been letting me across. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's been very interesting the past pandemic. Uh-huh. Uh, that must to, have been a be hassle to, and a half. It was very scary at times. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very scary at times. And I didn't know if they were going to let me cross to go to go to work every day. So wow. it worked out. I'm essential and vaccinated now. So we're all good. Okay. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad it worked out. So how long have you been practicing now? Um, so I graduated in 2012. So almost nine years now. Wow. Nine years and 14 practices. Yeah. 14. And we're, we're, we have a couple in progress right now. So hopefully we'll be up to passing that 15, 16 mark soon enough. So let, let's touch on that for a bit. So did you always know that you wanted to be a practice owner or were you kind of in dental school being like, ah, I kind of want to work for a bit and see what things go? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely knew, um, that I wanted to be a practice owner. I've, uh, I grew up in a, a, a small business family. My, my parents actually had a few pizza places, um, stereotypical Italian. Uh, we own pizza places, but, um, anyway, so we had a few pizza places and, and, um, so I always kind of grew up entrepreneurial having that small business background. Um, so having multiple dental practices is something I, I knew I wanted to do. Um, did I think it would scale this quickly and, and, and turn into, to what it has today? Um, probably not, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm having fun with it and we've been growing and we've been adding, you know, great people to our company and, and I have great, uh, people that I work with every day and, and, uh, we're having fun with it. So, um, yeah, we're going to keep going and, and see where things take us. So, uh, you seem like you put a lot of thought into each practice you open. There's a million things you have to think about and consider, um, location, construction, uh, staff, this and that. When did you start thinking, you, you said you opened your, your first practice a couple of years out of, um, UDM, UDM. So when did you start thinking about, uh, how, where, uh, when you're going to open your first practice? I, I'm really, I love opening practices, like as opposed to buying practices because I bought, I bought half my practices. And I've opened up half my practices. So I've done, I've done both. Um, but nothing makes me more happy than, you know, being involved, like drawing something out on paper and then, you know, getting it designed and then like building it and like being part of the building process. And then, you know, walking through it and being like, wow, this was like my idea. Like I, I designed this and I, I did this and I did that. So, um, you know, after you, you guys will see when you've been in dentistry for nine years or 10 years, like you just doing another MOD filling doesn't, doesn't satisfy you. Right. Um, <laughs> but walking into that clinic every day that you put together and you built and you designed and you did everything. I mean, that feeling is priceless. And so, yeah, I knew kind of right when I graduated that that was something I wanted to do. Um, you know, we, we, how did I know how to do that? I absolutely had no clue how to do it. Um, I made a ton of mistakes. So uh, me and Dr. Hasham Shurgan, we, we, I remember our first practice that we bought, the Grand Bend practice. Um, 
this place was a disaster. Like it, it had zero computer system. Um, they had just a little tiny notebook uh, with all the appointments in it. Um, and it had a receptionist. It had no hygienist, no assistant, uh, and a doctor that was retiring. And uh, we walked into this place and it was just an absolute disaster. We had just bought it. The very first day that we were supposed to start, take over this clinic, we get a phone call from our receptionist and she says, and she says, uh, I won't be into work for the next three weeks. And we're like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, like we have no assistant, we have no hygienist. All we had, we have no doctor. And all we had was a receptionist that was like, you know, the consistency in the practice and her husband had just passed away. And she took the first three weeks that we had employment off and we had no clue what we were doing. We we're one year out of dental school. And, wow. and we figured it out between me and Hisham. We were driving there every single night. So we would work our full-time associate positions. We were driving there at nighttime, just kind of like collecting the money because there was no cash system. Like there was no, um, no way to balance anything because there were no computers. We were just kind of like <laughs> figured out as we went. We're calling patients after our full day of work. It, it was a disaster. And then our second start our then then we decided to build once we kind of got that somewhat stabilized uh we decided to build a clinic uh stony creek family dental you guys have heard it about it probably in london um it's a sham's kind of um, biggest practice right now and uh sure enough anyways same thing we were we we didn't hire a contractor we thought it was a good idea just to be the contractors ourselves um so everything was just a disaster we got totally ripped off from all the trades. Uh, the equipment sales rep guy was a disaster that we bought all the equipment from. Everything was installed incorrectly. I mean, I think poor Hashams probably had to redo everything that we had built in that clinic already. Um, yeah, it was just a complete disaster. People were installing cabinets over plugs that we needed to, to run our tools. Like, uh, so we didn't have access to our plugs. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was a disaster. So, but that said is that, you know what we learned, right. And that's what life's all about is that you make mistakes and you learn from them. So what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, uh, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of Dr. Shurgan too much, but I think that's what we can both say is that we learned lessons the hard way and it, it made us stronger. And, uh, you know, I'm going to steal his, his saying, but he always says steel sharpens steel. So, you know, being around those people um, that, that are motivated and driven like yourself and doing projects with them and, and amplifying each other and, and uh, bringing each other's, uh, you know, level of, of confidence up is, is what we did. And, and we just got there and we built those clinics and we made absolutely every single mistake you could have possibly made. Um, but you know what? We're still here. We're still, we're still going. Trial by fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like an endeavor. Yeah, and then laughing. So from there, <laughs> you laughing yeah. makes it makes it look like an accident. You know, it's like you don't know how you got to this point. <laughs> don't you know what? Yeah, it's it's you know it's like any any entrepreneurial story that you hear, right? Um, you know, the founder of McDonald's did it by accident, and. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so any, any entrepreneur has a lot of growing pains in the process. And I mean, you try not to make 
the mistake. I don't, I don't want, you know, we have new associates come in that work for me. Um, we put them on a pathway to ownership if that's what they want. And, you know, I, I try to be there for them and, and uh, mentor them so that they don't have to make the same mistakes that we did. But uh, unfortunately we didn't have, you know, a strong, strong, we had a good mentors from a clinical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, we didn't have someone from the entrepreneurial side that, that took us under their wing. And that's why I'm so impressed with, I'm not just saying this to you guys. I'm so impressed with what you guys are doing because this is, this is, you know, you're not going to be able to teach everybody to do a startup by doing some podcasts, but you're amplifying that level of business knowledge and that entrepreneurial knowledge up so much in just a, in, at such a young age. So, you know, keep up what you guys are doing because that's totally, it's completely phenomenal. You know, I wish that we had something like this uh, when we were, when we were in second year, but instead we just made mistakes and figured it out. <laughs> Honestly, hey, man. That's, that's, that's like a hundred percent of the, uh, how I learn. I always learn from my own mistakes. So yeah, that's yeah. half the good thing about having this podcast is, get, is that we get to learn from your mistakes, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. The only problem is when you're doing them in the real world, they cost you a lot of money. Just remember <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, that must've been a headache, but Hey, listen, yeah. like you went through it, right. And that process got you to where you are today and nine years out, 14 clinics. That's really impressive. So congratulations. I mean, that, that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, Thank that's you. awesome. That's awesome. So you mentioned you mentioned the mentorship. Okay. Um, that still seems to be a fundamental aspect of coming out and even getting a clinic or starting a clinic, whatever, you still need that guidance, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I always get questions all the times people saying, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and open up a, a clinic right away. You know, I'm gonna come right out of school, and I'm gonna open up a clinic, I'm really motivated. Like I'm like, you know, all you guys, you guys are also motivated, right? You absolutely need that mentorship. You know, I, I spent um, a year working as an associate before I bought anything. Uh, even that's really ambitious, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you almost need two, three years um, because, yeah, it's, it's uh, you don't know what you don't know. And, um, you know, you need to, to have that time to get your clinical skills up. Uh, you need that time to just kind of learn how to do billing, how to, how to correctly code things right and how to, how to be a good dentist and, and how to run an efficient office. So yeah, you absolutely need that mentorship. So I always say to people, like when you're looking for associate associateship positions, try and find somebody that, that, you know, try and define what you, where you see yourself in five years, 10 years, and then try and find somebody that can provide that to you. So if you want to be, you know, the next DSO and you want to have this, 15 clinics. I mean, work for somebody that has something like that, because then you're going to learn the structure and you're going to learn how to, um, how to get there. Um, if you don't, if you just want to have one clinic and you just kind of want to, you know, work away at that, at that one office for the rest of your life, well then just find some old guy that's retiring. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can probably get great mentorship there, or maybe you don't even want to own a clinic at all. So just, you can work for anybody. You can work for a DSO. You can work for a corporate guy. I mean, any of that kind of stuff, right? Because you don't, you don't care about owning a clinic, but yeah, you got to find out what, where you want to be in five or 10 years and try and find somebody that's able to help you and provide you and provide that mentorship to get you there. Mm-hmm. Hasham and I both worked for, for Dub Dental. This is before your times, but mm-hmm. it was um, uh, Dr. Rick Merritt. Um, uh, he had a group of, I don't know, 10 clinics or something like that too. He was kind of like the first guy he's passed now, but he would have been in his eighties and almost 90 now. And, um, 
you know, he was kind of like, I always say he did corporate dentistry before corporate dentistry was cool. Now, nowadays, everybody, everybody's kind of doing it and talking about it. Right. But mm -hmm. this was, he, he did it 50 years ago uh, when nobody else was doing multiple locations. Dentists wow. back then didn't need to do multiple locations. They're absolutely slammed. Um, so yeah, he did it and Hashem and I both worked for him and, um, we learned a lot from him. We learned what to do and what not to do. Um, and it taught us a lot and we were able to kind of structure that, um, our businesses. So right now we both have, um, our group of clinics, but we have management companies and uh, auxiliary companies to help run the practices. So you need to have a good team behind you and a good team in place to do something like that. Are those, are those third party companies or are those in-house like developed by you? Yeah, they're developed by myself. And then, um, um, I mean, they're third party as in their standalone companies that mm -hmm. the, um, the dental practices will actually pay money into, mm -hmm. um, but they are companies that are owned by myself. Yeah. And so how did you, how did so you find have, direction in that then? How did you go about all the management side of things? And when did you yeah. specifically start doing that? So we, we probably put that in about after six or seven clinics. So you always need to kind of put a team in place. It's really, really tough to, to scale your practices above. Once you, once you have like four, three, four, five practices, you can kind of just be a dentist, right? You can kind of just bounce around clinic to clinic. You're seeing everything. You're able to put your hands in, you know, everywhere. You're just kind of working an insane amount of hours, right? But once you get past that, like four or five clinics, you need to have a team in place. Otherwise you'll crash and burn because you can't, you can't, I can't possibly be in 14 clinics. There's only one person, right? Yeah. So you have to develop that management structure, that C-suite. So you need to have, you know, a CFO, you need to have um, um, someone that's in charge of marketing. Uh, you need to have someone that's in charge of clinical operations. You need to have all those positions in place. Otherwise, um, the quality won't stay there and the other aspects of dentistry won't, won't be performing the way that they should be. So right. you need to have that whole team in place um, in order to uh, avoid any downfall. So that's why you don't hear a lot of people that have made it past, you know, four or five clinics because it's developing that whole um, C-suite positions that, that is the most challenging. For so sure. once, that, once you're able to master that and get a management team in place and you know, get a, get a company to, to handle your operations and getting all those regional managers in place and, and all those office managers and office leads. Um, once you can do that, then you can definitely scale your operations. But until then, um, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's that's funny. an entire topic on its own. Honestly, that sounds incredibly complicated. <laughs> It's funny yeah. that you say you put three or four or five at the sweet spot, because I know that it's quite difficult to get a loan uh, past your fourth or fifth uh, dental office that you own. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you're very wise beyond your years there, Christian. Cause yeah, that's, <laughs> that's um, you're right. Most banks now are kind of financing um, like three practices say, and that's even, that's a stretch because they're, they're saying it has to be three practices that, you know, are kind of within a close geographical area and, and, you know, that you could manage yourself. Um, because yeah, once you're getting into, um, you know, putting practices everywhere, they, they're, uh, they're shying away from that because it's basically the investor dentist model and the, the DSO corporate thing is getting huge in our industry. And everyone, you know, there's a lot of people trying to do it. Um, 
so the banks are really shying away from from financing anything past three practices or so. Do you have any insight as to where to go with that, like beyond banks? Like, uh, so we've we've had conversations with a consultant. You know, he's um, he's kind of outlined that at a certain point, like like Christian said, you need to start approaching other financial institutions like venture capitalists and things like that. Is that is that commonplace for scaling um, your organization? Yeah, it's it's really you're in a really tough spot when you have like three, four, or five practices because the banks have pretty well said no to you for any future uh, further growth. Um, but then at the same time, like a venture capitalist or something like that isn't wanna. They're probably not going to step in because you're you're not a true business. And what I say by that is, you know, um, a venture capitalist one. This is an extreme example, but they want something like an Amazon because that company runs by itself. You can take Jeff Bezos out of the equation and the company will still run fine. If you have three or four or five practices and you take, you know, Vlad out of the operations, it's probably going to fail, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're kind of like the main dentist, the main producer, the patients want to see Vlad. Um, You know, you're the CFO, you're making all the business decisions. So you take you out of the equation, you're in trouble. That operate, you know, the company's in trouble. So most venture capitalists or investors don't want to get involved with that. Um, so it's a very, very tough situation on how to grow past that, that number of practices. And then at the same time, you know, still be able to, to fund your growth correctly. Mm-hmm. So what we did and what some other people did is, I mean, you take a really big hit on your personal income. So uh, I remember times that myself and Dr. Shergan and, you know, we're, we're living off of $15,000 a year uh, when we we're full out dentists and own multiple practices. We we're literally eating Kraft mac and cheese every night, right? Because we we're keeping all the money in the company to try and pay like a, a regional manager or, or a, a CFO or a CEO. So we were, man- we were developing that, that management structure and that management team, even though we didn't have the money coming in to support it. So it had to come from somewhere. So we're taking a big hit on our personal incomes to develop that, that C-suite position, that, that core group of management. And then from there, we were able to grow the company because we had all those people in place. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a tough situation. It's kind of like the chicken before the egg. What, how, how are you going to kind of structure it correctly to get that growth? But um, yeah, so that's, that's the toughest part to growing. Well, that's really insightful. <laughs> I love yeah. that. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? You need to you need to really kind of focus in on the internals of your of your business before you can kind of approach anything or anyone, right? Now, I'm wondering is it is there enough cash flow in in something like that, like operations like that, to finance your own startups and your own practice acquisition costs and stuff, or do you still need to approach other financing yeah. options? No, yeah, I mean, great, great question, Vlad. So. Um, yeah, like that's what we did for a lot of these practices, right? We, they were kind of self-financed, um, you know, and a lot of the startups were self-financed for once we were in that difficult position. So I can remember, you know, taking half a million dollars out of out of my own personal accounts and putting them into building new practices. So, um, yeah, it's that's another sacrifice that you make as an entrepreneur and a business owner and, you know, something that, a lot of dentists don't do right because um, they're so used to getting financing from banks and all that kind of stuff. But um, 
yeah, hundred percent. Like uh, some of the growth was, was self-financed and you have to run your business very, very efficiently to have the cash flows to be able to do something like that. So, cause it, you're, you're at that point, you're all in, you're, you're all in. So if you have a family, kids, all that kind of stuff, I mean, you're, you're fully vested in um, your dental business. So if something goes wrong, like COVID hits and you have to close your practice for three months, it can be a scary time, right? Um, because your, your, your whole life savings is, is, is into this kind of stuff. So um, that's why when we talk about startups and new locations, we also like to talk about um, mastering the business side of things. So um, being able to run your practice efficiently so that you have that money left over so that you can uh, invest in new projects or even just take home more and work less. So running your practice efficiently, keeping your, your sundries in check, uh, keeping your staffing costs in check, um, you know, not overpaying on rent, um, are all things that we need to be aware of and cognizant as a business owner, uh, so that you can do whatever you want with your profits at the end of the day. So we know there's a, a huge gap, um, in, in our education when it comes to business like we're not really educated on that what what advice would you give to someone that's just graduating or just new in the field that wants to learn about um the business of dentistry at the end of the day a dental business is the same as any other business i mean it's 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 a small business right so you know it's you don't need to i mean always shadowing and getting mentorship 100 that's amazing if you can shock up with you know, a Dr. Shurgan or, or you can, you know, work in our organization or you can work in another um, entrepreneurial based uh, dental group. I mean, those are always invaluable, but at the end of the day, this, uh, a, a dental business is a, is a small business. So, you know, there's a ton of good books. There's a ton of good uh, YouTube sources. There's a ton of good, um, you know, any podcasts out there, um, this podcast, uh, there's t- a ton of, a ton of great resources that you should absolutely just indulge in nonstop. Like the world that you guys are living in is absolutely phenomenal to have so much information at your fingertips and to be able to, to access all of this. So yeah, just, I mean, just taking as much as you possibly can in, and then it goes back to what I was saying at the start. I mean, once, once you, you know, you've taken everything in, you just got to jump in, you just got to do it. You just got to make some mistakes and you gotta <laughs> screw up a few times and you'll, you'll learn it. Right. And just hope you just hope and pray that your mistakes aren't too costly. And, and yeah, it's just having the courage after that to, to just jump in and, and actually get some stuff done. So, yeah, I mean, just so many phenomenal resources out there and, and, you know, reading business books, and then, and then also taking advantage of all the free dental resources too. So I wanted to, I wanted to touch upon something specific within the practice and how you find um, you tackle problems such as operating efficiency and how you use practice metrics to analyze uh, operating efficiency. Yeah. So great, great question. I mean, um, I love dorking out over this kind of stuff. I, I love, Good. I love numbers. <laughs> so do we. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Vlad's all excited. Um, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Yeah. Um, so business metrics and KPIs, key performance indicators are absolutely 
like essential to running your business. I always compare them to, you know, watching a, a football game with no score clock, right? How fun would that be? There's a bunch of guys running around hitting each other with no, with no score. You'd probably lose interest pretty soon, right? So same thing with running your business is that you need to have numbers in place. You need to have your scoreboard, which is your KPIs and your, your business metrics. And you need to make your staff aware of these numbers because it's just like them. How are you going to keep your staff motivated if they don't know if they have, if they're playing a football game with no scoreboard, right? So you need to be constantly updating them on this kind of stuff and setting goals for them so that they're able to obtain their goals and they're going to work harder. They're going to be motivated to reaching those goals every month. Yeah. Just to dive into some of those. So how we do this in our organization, everyone says to me, they're like, how do you, how do you manage 14 clinics? Right. And it's exactly what you just said, Christian. It's, it's KPIs and business metrics. So we have a massive scoreboard. Okay. It's just massive. It has 14 clinics across and then it has, you know, 20 columns, 30 columns down of, of things that we're measuring every single month. And my, my CFO, uh, the person I have in charge of all my finances is constantly, it's, it's, they make it absolutely dummy proof for me. So we have these big massive scoreboard and then there's big red boxes anywhere where I need to pay attention to. So, you know, if, if our hygiene is underproducing or our, you know, our lab costs are too high um, or, you know, our staffing costs are, are too high at a clinic that's lit up with a big red box. And every month we're measuring it and we're seeing, okay, we're saying, okay, well, you know, um, Lampton Family Dental had staffing costs of 32% this month. What happened? Why did we, why did we lose that? So, and then we're having, my team is having a discussion and, and we're addressing it every single month and every single red box that we have. So, at the start of every month too, we're projecting everything forward. So our, our software, our, uh, we use a program called Tracker. So in Tracker, you're able to tag an appointment to, um, and if I lose anybody, just stop me, okay? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> um, you're able to tag an appointment uh, to your production goals, okay? So, so if, if you know Mrs. Jones is booked next week for a cleaning, it's 200 bucks. Um, it's going to tell you, it's going to tally that up for the whole month. So we know before we start the month that we're going to bring in, say, I'm just going to use round numbers. We're going to bring in a hundred thousand dollars at this clinic. Okay. So from there, we know that we have a hundred, hundred thousand dollars coming in because we've tagged every single appointment from there. We're going to run a forecast. So we're going to say, we want to keep our, um, our sundries at 5%. We want to keep our rent cost at, at 6%. We want to keep our um, uh, staffing costs at 25%. We want to keep our, um, uh, what are some other metrics that we track? Our lab costs under 5%. So we're projecting it out that, that we're not spending any more than those numbers every single month on everything. So then when we get our profit and loss statements at the end of the month and we get our KPIs and our metrics, we know exactly what we're spending every single month before we've done anything. And then... We're doing, we're checking in. So we do this at the start of the month Then we're checking in mid month to ensure that production is being uh, kept at each clinic. And then furthermore, we're, we're reconciling those numbers to make sure that all our numbers are staying in check. So we haven't overspent that month on sundries. We haven't overspent on staffing costs. We haven't overspent on anything. And then again, we're checking at the end of the month and, and it should just be a, a, a final check 
to say, okay, we kept everything in line and there's no red boxes because we didn't overspend on our staffing costs and we didn't overspend on our sundries and we didn't over expend um, on, on discretionary expenses. So um, yeah, so KPIs and metrics are absolutely essential to how we run our business because there's no way that we could be able to keep an eye on 14 clinics uh, without doing something like that. So. That's actually, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that I don't really think of going into dentistry, but the more and more I learn about it, I understand how important it is. And I'm, I think we should dive into that and maybe we can talk about which one of these metrics are, uh, or a group of metrics you find are difficult to change and metrics you want to focus on. Like maybe metrics you track month to month and some metrics you track year to year, day to day. Um, yeah. what, what do you think about that? So Christian, like, great. Like, I'm just going to go off your first comment there. Like you didn't know that getting into dentistry. And that's my biggest criticism of how we as dentists run our practices, right? Is that we are, we're reckless with money and I'm, and I'm talking as a general consensus here. So I'm not, you know, but we, we make so much money that we are reckless with our spending, right? We give raises just frivolously and, and, you know, we, we overspend on sundries, we overspend, you know, your lab guy comes in or your supply rep and you really like him. He's super cool. And you'll just buy whatever he says, because, you know, he's super cool. Right. Because the next day you're going to bill another $2,000 or $3,000. There's just another thousand bucks to be made every single day. And, and so we're notorious for running our businesses inefficiently. And that's what we need to stop doing as a profession. And we need to tighten up and we need to run our practices more efficiently, tracking everything every month. The average dentist doesn't do any metrics or KPIs. So they're literally just sending all their financial statements off to their accountant at the end of the year and being like, oh, cool, I made money. You know, or in a COVID year, they're like, oh shoot, I lost $100,000. And they just find that out at the end of the year, which is so bad right so it should be something that is forecasted checked on mid-month and then followed up at the very end so so yeah what are some main um uh things to answer now let's get into your actual question here um so basic business okay you have fixed expenses and variable costs right so your fixed expenses are stuff that you can't really change on a monthly basis so you've signed a, a, a lease, right? And your, and your rent every, every month is $5,000. I mean, you can't really change that expense. Um, you know, another fixed expense, um, um, salaries can sometimes be uh, fixed or variable because you have to pay your staff so many hours. They want 40 hours a week, but then, you know, sometimes you can get them to, to work more or less. So that can be fixed or variable. Um, but, you know, your fixed expenses are very, very, very hard to change because they're kind of contracts that you've already put in place, right? So if you're having monthly delivery of, of oxygen from, from Praxair, I mean, you're kind of committed to that contract. So it's very, very hard to change. Um, you can get out of them, but it's tough. Your variable expenses are mostly what you can change and what we like to track. So, um, you know, the biggest cost in any dental office is, is uh, staffing costs. So staffing costs can be anywhere from 22 to, to 25% is where we like to keep it. Um, but, you know, right now with the shortage in assistance and hygienists and stuff, I mean, it can be up to 28, uh, 29, and even 30, 31% uh, staffing costs in a lot of areas. 
So that's a big one. Um, your sundries, uh, your supplies, you want to keep that under 5%. Um, that's the goal. But again, that can creep up to 6 or 7%. Uh, you want your rent to stay, even though rent's a, a fixed cost, you want your rent to stay about 5% of your overall gross production. Um, what are some other big ones? Your lab, uh, you want your lab to be under 5% as well. Um, and then we try to keep like IT costs under 1%. We try to keep accounting and legal under 1% of gross, gross production. Um, discretionary spending is all under 18%. Um, yeah, so those are kind of ones that we're trying to hit on every single month to track. Um, stuff that we track on uh, on more of a yearly basis, uh, you know, you're more of your one-time expenses. So your accounting, uh, your year-end accounting fees, year-end legal fees, um, you know, and then just uh, over-checking all your metrics for the whole year to make sure. Because some sometimes you can, your, your metrics can vary month to month. Sometimes you'll have a super, super busy month, you know, um, December is usually a busy month or, or January. So, you know, your expenses can be out of whack on some of those months, but then they, they should balance out on some of the slower months and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, over, over a year period, you kind of just want to make sure that everything is in check. If you're not able to keep them all in check every single month. The name of the game seems to be, be bottom line oriented. Like look at, look at the raw numbers here. Like look mm -hmm. where you're going, see what's costing you, see what's not costing you, see what's underperforming, what's overperforming. Is there That's, a limit to this though? Like, do you, is it, is it too bad to be like too intricate about this kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, so you're hundred percent right. Like, I mean, you can pour as much water into a bucket. If there's, if there's a hole in the bottom of the bucket, what's going to happen. Right. So it's about plugging the holes and then you don't have to put as much water in. And that's what we're famous for as dentists. We just, if we have a problem, we think we can just overproduce, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sell more implants. I'm just going to work longer hours. I'm just going to take time away from my family. And that's not what we want to be doing. The goal is to work hard, but I mean, still have time for everything that you love to do. Right. So time for your family and still have time for your friends and, and working out and going to the gym and doing all that kind of stuff. We still want to be able to do that. So um, pouring more water into the bucket isn't, isn't the, uh, isn't the answer. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's always, a, you have to have a practical side of it, right? For example, if you don't, if you, if you're over analytical and you're trying to save every single penny, I mean, I, I have a theory, my staffing costs are always super high because I want to be the coolest dentist to work for in my area. And I want to pay my staff the best. I want to have, I, I give my staff bonuses, you know, when we hit certain goals and I, I, you know, I rent boats for, and we have, we throw parties on them and, and stuff like that when, you know, in a normal year, not in a COVID year, obviously. And we have the biggest, coolest Christmas parties, even though Dr. Shergan's Christmas parties are pretty cool too. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have the coolest parties and we, we rent big wedding halls and stuff like that. So we spend a ton of money on our staff. Um, but that said is that I'm a big believer that that's going to pay me back uh, tenfold because my staff is going to bring all their family in. They're going to, they're going to want to, you know, they're going to be happy at work, which is going to translate to the patients. Um, they're going to talk highly of me. So yeah, that's for me, that's huge. And that's really important. So yeah, there is definitely to answer your question, Vlad. there's definitely, you know, you want to make sure that you're, you're um, saving costs, but you want to save money where you can. So you don't want to be using cheap bond from China 
yeah. you know, that, that costs you two cents. I mean, you want to get quality 3M bond, you know, there's, there's nothing, I won't ever compromise on patient quality. If you want to go and buy some, you know, bibs from wherever that, that, uh, you know, just sit on this patient's chest, hundred percent, go, go save money on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you got to have quality materials. You got to use quality labs that, you know, when you put a crown in that, that thing just sits right in It doesn't need to be adjusted at all. Um, you know, so that there, there's definitely, there's definitely a fine line to it, but watching your money, um, and just doing things smart, uh, but still using quality products and quality staff. I mean, you can still run a very, very efficient office. I kind of wanted to touch on this because you, you talked about staff experience and, you know, really appealing to the staff. That, that's phenomenal. That's great. Right. But before that, you also mentioned that you'd like to share your, your metrics with your staff, right? So mm-hmm. what's your strategy to get them excited about your practice, like the performance and, and, and overall general kind of vibe of the facility? If, if you're so focused on numbers, right, does, does that kind of throw them off a bit or what kind of strategy mm-hmm. could someone use? So whenever, whenever you're dealing human capital staff is the number one hardest thing in a practice and, and running a practice, it's if you don't have to deal with any staffing problems, I mean, your life would be so easy. Um, so that's always the biggest challenge. So in order to get somebody to do something for you, so, you know, when that patient comes into your office, you want to have that same experience for that patient every single time you want them to be able to seat the patient correctly. You want them to offer them the headphones and, and what do you want to watch on Netflix? And, um, you know, can I get you a neck pillow and can I get you? So everything needs to be absolutely systematized in your office. And in order to get your team to stay with your systems is that you have to measure something or you have to incentivize it. That's what I always say. If you're not measuring it and you're not incentivizing it, it's not going to happen. People are going to just naturally not want to do stuff that you tell them to do. Right. So measuring it means that we have a checklist for everything. So every time a patient is seated, we have a checklist of everything that they need to do in the office. Um, You know, and then the other part of it is the incentivizing part. So if they hit those metrics and they hit those things and they do all the checklists that they're supposed to, the things that we're measuring, they get a bonus, right? And and, um, yeah, so I think bonusing things and measuring them and putting checklists in place and systems in place are the two biggest things if you're going to get your staff to perform correctly and getting them excited to, to go to work every day. My staff looks at it as almost like a game, right? They, they love hitting the, the, the metrics that we put in place for them because then they, A, they get a bonus, you know, which they, they love, but um, um, yeah, they, they want to reach those goals and they want to accomplish that because otherwise work kind of boring for them. It's kind of the same thing every single day. So you have to put those things in place for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Accountability is huge. And I'm, I'm sure that's uh, motivation every day. Um, I, I just wanted to come to, to circle back to, to the beginning of the podcast when you talked about how you acquired your first practice and everything was paper based. Uh, every, every file was paper based. Is, was that a priority of you um, having an emphasis on metrics to convert your paper files into uh, electronic and how difficult was that? Uh, maybe you can talk about some of that. Yeah, my first practice, I I didn't know anything about metrics. I didn't know anything about even. Uh, uh, yeah, I didn't. I barely knew how to how to open the doors, let alone start measuring stuff. <laughs> so, um, 
but yeah, hundred percent. I mean, converting, um, you know, I'm, I'm older than you guys, obviously, but I'm still kind of a, a younger dentist, young, younger ish. Um, so, you know, I wanted to convert, I've converted a few offices that I've purchased over to uh, completely digital. So I, I'm a big, even though I, I'm, I believe in efficiencies and, you know, saving your pennies and, and not overspending uh, in your office. I'm very big on, on, you know, putting digital workflow in, um, digital dentistry, um, digital everything. Um, so yeah, converting all the charts, scanning everything in, putting in computer systems, um, putting in technology, cam intro cameras, TVs, TVs on the walls, TVs on the ceilings, computers everywhere, um, you know, and everything syncing and everything working together, digital x-rays, digital um, pans, digital everything. So yeah, in that first office, every, every single thing I just mentioned needed to be done. Um, so it, it took a long time. Um, we slowly converted it over. Our first thing in that office was finding a staff, right? So we had to get the right people, the right assistant, the right hygienist, the right um, front desk people. And then we were able to start the conversion process. So it took time, but uh, at the end of the day, we were able to get it done successfully. I was going to, I was going to ask because on top of the cost of uh, converting everything from uh, paper to digital, I was also going to say it was also, it could also be a struggle for, I know this, this was a struggle at a place that I shadowed, but they had to learn all the new technologies. So converting everything, it's not just uh, cost financially, but it's also uh, difficult for everyone to learn all the technologies and everything. So I was going to ask, <laughs> is that something that you always uh, might've considered when, when converting? Did you ever think, uh, I don't know if it's worth it to convert or was that always your plan? You're like, I have to do this. Yeah. So, I mean, at, at the time it was, it was, uh, that was a question to me, right? Should we convert versus not convert? Um, as you grow though, and we've added more locations is that we have no choice now because every, we try to systemize everything in our operations. So, you know, I always use the analogy of McDonald's and there's a reason why you can get a Big Mac in London, Ontario, and a Big Mac in, you know, uh, Dubai. And it's the exact same Big Mac and it tastes the same and it looks the same and all that kind of stuff. And it was made by a 16 year old kid making minimum wage. But why can't we in our dental practices have a patient get seated the same way, you know, same experience, the same repetition? And we're dentists, we're doctors, right? It's because of systems. McDonald's has put in excellent systems for training, excellent systems on how to make a Big Mac. They put three pickles on every single Big Mac. Every single Big Mac has 12 sesame seeds on that bun. And the biggest thing is they know exactly how much that Big Mac costs. So they know to put that Big Mac together, it costs them, you know, a dollar and a dollar twenty. And they know exactly how much a, a sesame seed on that bun costs them. And we don't do any of that as dentists. We don't know how much a filling costs us. We don't know how much our overhead is. We don't know how much our, we know three numbers usually, production, collections, and how many new patients. That's it. If you ask anybody what their overhead is, if you ask them, uh, you know, what, how much it costs them to do a filling, we know none of that. So yeah, like that's, that's, uh, systems are the, the number one priority to how things have to happen and how things have to grow. So Christian, I totally just started rambling and forgot your question. 
<laughs> Honestly, me too. No, that's all right. I, I just wanted that to was... admire your I just wanted to admire your analogies. Like I've never seen anyone yeah, in my life with so many <laughs> analogies. It's my a wife, skill. I'm gonna learn it. My wife makes fun of me all the time. Uh, why did <laughs> sorry? He said, why you know, do we do we digitalize every uh, digitize everything? So at the first clinic it was a question. And then, but now we try to almost assimilate the McDonald's model, right? And we try to literally copy everything in every single clinic needs to be the same. So if I have a, uh, an, an assistant that calls in sick at my, um, one of my Sarnia locations, I can just pull an assistant from another location and everything, when she walks into that clinic, it's set up the exact same way. Everything is put in the exact same places. Everything is all the same. They're all running the same software. They're all, uh, the checkout process is the same. The patient experience process is the same. Everything is the exact same in every single location. So that's the goal. So yeah, we now, once we got, we buy a clinic, I mean, everything is automatically converted into our systems and digitized and, and, you know, digital dentistry, everything. And, and yeah, there's not even a question now. Standardization. That's the standardization. Key. That's yeah. the key. That's not the first time we've heard it because uh, on conversations with DSOs, you know, one of the biggest topics is, you know, DSOs crumble without standard workflows. Right. And so mm-hmm. that is, it's a good notion to have from a business mindset, right? Like standardizing your clinical practice, standing, automating like the processes within a clinic to the highest extent. Right. But mm-hmm. DSOs seem to clash with that quite a bit. Okay. Um, because, I mean, you just have associates that don't want to do the, do things the way that DSOs function, right? So how do you how do you approach that scenario when you have like that sort of individual perspective of a of a clinician working for you? Great question. That a hundred percent is that we're all very stubborn individuals, and we come out uh, of dental school thinking that we know how to do it better than anybody else. Um, so yeah, no, we we believe um, in a in a team approach in a team. Um, we're not, we're not necessarily, I know we're, we, some people would call us a DSO because we are at a decent size. Um, but we're definitely not, uh, you know, we're not a dental corp. We're not a a one, two, three dental and Ultima as in we say, you have to do it this way. Um, everybody gets their own autonomy to, to, you know, we make a decision as a group. So there's, like I said, about 15 of us dentists. Um, we get together and we, we think of the best way to uh, deliver patient care. And, and we try to get on the same page to do a filling the same way. And we try to get on the same page to, um, you know, systemize everything in the, in the offices uh, with all of us contributing and uh, everybody's opinion being taken into consideration. So it's, if you can systemize everything, it benefits every single dentist. It is not just benefiting the owner. It's not benefiting the DSO. Um, if, if, uh, if the assistants know to do the filling these five steps every single time, then it, the day is just going to run way, way smoother, uh, for the dentist. So it's, they're, in, they're encouraged to get on board and, and everyone to be on the same page, but we take everybody's, uh, opinion into consideration. We're a small enough company that we can still, um, uh, get factors from all the dentists. I'll, I'll be honest with you too. Most of the dentists that I hire and, and work with me are from Detroit Mercy or Western, the, those two schools. I don't really take any U of T or, or too many yet. So nothing against U of T grads. I just, uh, due to geographically where we are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, we're all pretty well trained the same way. So 
um, you know, it makes it pretty easy. I guess that's, that's really important, right? You have to kind of appeal to the side of the, the associates that are working with you and the partners that are working with you, right? But that doesn't mean you have to step away from your business model necessarily, right? You're, you have to yeah. align on some things. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah, it's all, it's all about taking everyone's opinion into considerations, right? So how far are you going to go? What's the ceiling? You guys going to expand? Yeah, like I said, we're, I'm probably having more fun with this um, than I ever have. Um, it's kind of cool when, when, you're, um, when you're smaller and you're just, say, a single practice owner. You're kind of the, you're the dentist. You're the HR person. You're the um, financial guy. You're, you're everything in the practice. Um, so now, since we've gotten to a certain size, I mean, I have an HR person. I hate dealing with HR. I don't want to hear about your, you know, your problems or COVID anymore or <laughs> any of that kind of stuff. Like I'm so over hearing about, you know, Susie's little daughter is, has, has a sniffles. So can she come to work or not? Like, I'm just, I, I don't know. I can just, can't handle it anymore. So, <laughs> so having an HR person on, on staff, I mean, it's awesome. Cause it's just like, yeah, go talk to her. Don't bother me with that. So, you know, I'm, I'm having more fun now than I ever have because, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on being a dentist and I, I like focusing on, um, you know, putting new projects together. So it's kind of cool because an opportunity will come my way and, and, you know, the financial part we'll we'll sit down and we'll, audit the financial opportunity with our CFO and, and they're looking at the numbers and seeing if it makes sense. And, um, you know, I get to be, uh, I get to be the, um, kind of the imaginary, the, the creator, the visionary, um, you know, there's a good book. It's called the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Um, great business book. It's, it's all about, um, running a small business and how every small business has certain parts in it. So there's always, uh, the visionary, and then there's the, the guy who's like the technical guy that actually puts the vision into, into, um, uh, into reality. And then there's the workers, you know, who, who are just kind of the grunts and, and get stuff done. So, you know, everybody in every single project and every single, even just looking at you guys, right. You know, I can see that there's like, there's some visionaries and there's, there's the ones who actually probably put the podcast together and there's, uh, you know, the ones that are recruiting the, the dentist to come talk. So, you know, there's always, there's always everybody that serves a different role. And, and now that our organization is big enough is that I get to pick the role that I want to um, be in. And, and I love being the visionary and I love being a dentist. And those are the roles I'm serving right now. Um, and then all the rest, I, I have other people in place to do it. So it's, it's a lot less stressful than running your own practice, running one clinic. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, I don't know how many will go. Uh, I'm going to keep going. We seem to add about one or two or three clinics a year. So, um, you know, if we talk in a few years when you're graduating, we'll probably have 20 clinics. I don't know. So, nice. Yeah. So we end off all our podcast um, episodes by asking you what advice you would give to someone that's just graduating or what do you wish you knew when you were in dental school? Let's do the one that's uh, in dental school right now. So um, we were talking about this uh, a little earlier. So just seizing every single moment and just soaking it all in. So taking any opportunity you can to shadow dentists or spend time in a dental office and, and learn uh, from current dentists, because this is the opportunity that you get. 
you can go around and bounce office to office and see how um, you talk to patients. And because that's the toughest part is talking to patients, managing that patient's expectations and, and delivering good dental care from that. But learning how to talk to patients is the number one thing that will make you successful in life. So you can't open up multiple clinics if you can't get your first one under control. So you need to be able to communicate effectively with your patients and you need to see that. Um, yeah. What did I wish I knew when I first graduated? Um, you know, just take your time. I always say to new grads, just don't worry about anything at the start um, and have thick skin, you know, so uh, don't worry about doing things super, super quick. You know, because I got to I got to build up my speed. I got to build up my speed. Just do quality and the speed's going to come um, and have thick skin in your first six months. You're going to have patients that just leave the office because they don't like you or, you know, you're going to have I had I had assistants that were not really nice to me when I first started and they were telling um, my principal dentist on me if I would you know, not put a matrix band in correctly. Um you know, you just got to have really thick skin your first six months. Just, just, it's, you're gonna have so many deflating times where you can't get a tooth out. Um, you know, it, it, it comes, you know, you're learning for at least the first, you don't, you don't feel comfortable as a dentist till you're at least five years out. So, you know, just, just kind of learn something new every day. Uh, uh, just give it some time and everything's going to go smooth and, everything will be good. It's not, it's not a sprint. Uh, it's just an, uh, a slow race to the finish. So you're going to be doing it for 30, 40 years. Just enjoy it. Uh, Cause it's a great profession. It's one of the best there is. And I, and I firmly believe that I'm not just saying that I'm so proud uh, to be a dentist. Great. Okay. That's been an awesome conversation. I can't believe the time really flew, but we do that was have quick. To, yeah, that was quick. We do have to end it. If you haven't checked out debbieacademy.ca, go check us out. We have a bunch of resources on there where you can pull from and learn different things. Find us on Facebook, Debbie Academy memberships completely free. Just ask to join. We'll have lots of conversations about different topics. Follow us on Instagram, debbie.academy. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Hopefully we'll see you in the next one. Take care. Bye-bye.